Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Um, so our scripture reading today is from Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 young bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Now five of them were wise, and the other five were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't bring oil for them. But the wise ones took their lamps and also brought containers of oil. When the groom was late in coming, they all became drowsy and went to sleep. But at midnight there was a cry, Look, the groom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. But the foolish bridesmaids said to the wise ones, "Uh, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps have gone out. But the wise bridesmaids replied, No. No, because if we share with you, there won't be enough for our lamps and yours. We have a better idea. You go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were gone to buy oil, the groom came. Those who were ready went with him into the wedding, and then the doors were shut. Hmm. Um, uh, Later, the other bridesmaids came and said, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep alert, because you don't know the day or the hour. Um, so we are in the middle of a sermon series called Practice, and do you all remember from last week what you're supposed to do for this? Practicing a powerful, yes! <laughs> we are practicing a powerful yes at New City Church, and that means that when we uh, recite the name of the sermon series, you just say yes or yas as loudly as you can because we're practicing. So let's just do it one more time. Practicing a powerful So that's what we're all about here. Um, In this sermon series, we are challenging each person in our community to hold every item, every item that you own and decide uh, uh, whether or not it sparks joy and to keep only the things that spark joy. On Wednesday, uh, we have a check-in on Circle. The check-in was very lively uh, this week. It was so fun to see. If you're not part of Circle, which is our social platform, you can um, look at the QR code on the back of a worship companion, uh, which is again available on the cart, or just talk to um, any of the New City staff folks with lanyards. After the sermon, there will be a time for community talk back, and this will be a time when um, anyone from the community, anyone in this room could kind of say uh, a response to our focus question, which is, what are you learning as you're going through the tidying process? For those of you who uh, started it last week, we would love to hear what you're learning. Uh, for full legal disclosure, I do want to name that uh, 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 this is inspired by a process that uh, was created by Marie Kondo. Uh, her show, uh, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, and uh, Sparking, or I'm sorry, Sparking Joy and Tidying Up are the shows on Netflix. Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up is the book. Um, they deeply informed this sermon series. And 
Um, so much so that I wrote Marie Kondo and sh- and her team wrote back and gave us legal permission to do this sermon series as long as we have this particular slide. So uh, please do uh, feel free to check that out at your leisure. Um, last week, we looked at clothes. Do you remember this? Oh, my gosh. It was so great. So we looked at um, clothes and Already, right away, we saw our folks, like, jumping right on this. And so, like, um, we saw it in Circle. Krista, could, could I bother you to... My uh, click is being a little sad. So, uh, we saw on Circle pictures of people who were taking piles of their clothes and then putting it on their bed and holding each item and deciding if it sparked joy individually. Woo! Uh, we also heard from folks who were um, adapting the process based off of kind of their own needs and their own uh, their own desire and ability and and capacity. So for some folks, they uh, needed to spread this out a little bit more to not be overwhelmed, and that is totally good. I'm totally supportive of that. Um, and I just want to name that like this whole tidying process is all about fighting back against the attention economy. Do y'all know this term, attention economy? So basically, it's saying, like, the most valuable thing, it's not oil, it's not uh, a certain crop, it's, like, your attention. And and in this tech age, there are lots of companies that are spending millions, billions of dollars trying to grab your attention and make sure that you are paying attention to them. But... Everyone is doing that at the same time. And so if you're feeling kind of frazzled, kind of distracted or dazed, that's because we're living in an economy where people make their livelihood distracting you. Like their whole job is just to distract you. And that's like everyone's job. And so this is like an attention economy. It's, it's, uh, it can feel really hard to kind of feel grounded or whole or like, like you can uh, live in this world well. And tidying is one of the ways that we fight back against this kind of distraction economy by leveraging two skills, discernment and stewardship. These are big Christian words. But basically, discernment means like being able to look at something and decide whether or not God is calling you to act with it or to leave it for someone else. And stewardship is about like receiving the things that you have as gifts from God and then using them towards like God's purposes in the world. And so uh, with discernment and stewardship, we are able to push back against the attention economy. And the reason why this matters is because like what you pay attention to matters because you matter. I don't know. Like, I don't know if anyone's told you that you matter today but i just want you to know that you matter so much you uh like you are so important and what you pay attention to matters like what you are putting in front of your eyeballs matters and if it didn't matter then why would people be spending millions of dollars trying to rob you of your attention (laughs) like what you pay attention to matters because you matter And I know that sometimes in this winter lull, mental health can be really tough in this season. And for a lot of folks, it's like kind of hard to remember that you matter sometimes. So I just want to like throw back uh, to a foundational truth of Christianity, which is that you matter. And when you live your life reflecting God's love for you, like that's how we become whole and and, uh, together as a community.
We learned last week that um, uh, one of those lessons from the, the parable of the coins is that when you discern with a little, God can entrust you with a lot more. And so the reason why we're starting with homes is because a lot of us have homes and a lot of us have like a lot of stuff to organize. And so if we can start organizing small things at home, if we can start honing our discernment and our stewardship with the small things in your life, then you'll be able to create space for God to put bigger things in your life. And so today we have a parable about a lamp, about lamps. Uh, and you can kind of imagine an oil lamp. So it's like, it's like this container where you pour oil into it and then there's a, like a wick and then a fire and, and like the oil just kind of slowly seeps up the wick. And so like if you were going to have light for a long time, you needed a lot of oil to sustain that light. And we hear a story about how there are five people who uh, did not have oil and five people who did have oil. And I want to be clear, similar to last week's parable, this is not a story about the haves and have-nots, right? Like, this is not a story about, like, if you have something and someone else doesn't, don't share. <laughs> like, this is not... There is a sermon, a side sermon to be preached about, like, um, boundaries and just naming, like... Okay, so you, like, had the opportunity to fill up your lamp and you didn't, and now you want to drain me of the things that I have prepared for myself... And, and I have a better idea. <laughs> like, I'm going to create a solution that works for both of us. You know, like, that's, that, that is a side sermon to be preached. Um, but, like, the thing that I want to emphasize about um, this scripture is what they're trying to cultivate in you. Like, what the scripture, what Jesus is trying to pull out from you in this storytelling. And that is a sense of patient urgency, sense of patient urgency. This was a lot of Jesus's ministry where he's like, you don't exactly know when stuff is going to hit the fan, <laughs> but just be ready for it. You don't exactly know when the revolution will begin, but just be ready for it. You don't exactly know when your life will change, but just be ready for it. Because if you're not prepared for the transformation, then you will never live into the transformation when that moment comes. So we're trying to be like, like be prepared uh, in, a, in like an urgent and patient kind of way. And I just want to name that like when we look back through the history of social change of the United States, uh, movements are always ignited at a particular time. And, and they were always uh, surprised, like many people were surprised by them when they happened. Uh, certainly uh, on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, we can remember that like, of course, there were things that led up to the civil rights movement. Of course, the backdrop of slavery, Jim Crow laws, and, uh, and segregation. But there were certain moments where things caught, where things caught fire, where, where uh, the movement began, where the energy of the people poured out into the streets. There were certain moments when people rallied around um, this movement, this belief that a, a new world is possible. There were certain moments and I want you to think back to the civil rights movement and just think about like what it was like for the people living in that time for one day to not see themselves as part of this movement and then the next day to see themselves as part of the movement. Like there was a moment 
Do you understand what I'm saying? There's like an, an ignition to this. And like what God is trying to tell you is that there might be an ignition in your life. Like you might be recruited into a cause of liberation for the world and you kind of got to get ready for it because if you're not ready, then, uh, then you might be left out from it. And, and we need you as part of the movement. Like this is not about exclusion. This is about all of us coming together to create something. And, uh, and the people of God are people who can imagine that tonight might be the night that something amazing happens. Um, and it all depends on the discernment. So like, you have to be able to cultivate, to hone, to listen in to this inner guidance that is telling you whether or not your soul, whether God is pulling you toward certain options or certain opportunities and not towards other things. Because a lot of times, you know, at a New City, we talk about the empire. The empire is um, shorthand for like all the powers of oppression and greed and evil in the world like that's what we call the empire yeah burn it down hashtag burn it down and um and so like a lot of the ways that the empire wins is not only from malicious action like violence and hatred but simply by distraction simply by putting a whole bunch of stuff in your hands so that you can't receive the things that you're actually supposed to be receiving and discernment is the wisdom that you cultivate to be able to put things down so that you can receive the movement the call the ignition the next do you understand what i'm saying like if there's like a there's something that we're practicing receiving into our lives and and it's a spiritual discipline uh for us to uh hold on to that and today in particular i want to talk about a certain phrase, which is, I'll get to it one day. I'll get to it one day. Okay, folks, let's, let's get, can we get real for a second? That's, they're like, oh, wow, Jesus, so spiritual, so nice. Oh, well, no, no, no. Let's like, let's like talk about this for a second because um, every, I don't know, if you're like me, you're someone who's like, I'll get to certain projects one day i'll get to certain to read certain books one day i'll get around to contacting certain people one day i'll get around to uh writing a second book one day <laughs> like all of these things that we kind of put onto the shelf of one day one day one day and those are valuable things because they kind of give us a sense of guidance or kind of like a sense of orientation or goals for what we can do when we do have time but i want to name that in particularly in the topics of books and papers, we are drowning in we'll get to it one day. We are so completely overwhelmed that it's like too much. And then and then all of a sudden it, it, it detracts from our ability to do anything. So we're going to get real specific, but I want you to be thinking about like whenever I talk about real specific that I'm actually talking about like honing something that you can use in the big picture. So uh, this week, your books and papers process is the exact same as it was for clothes, which is to say, yay, the collective distress in the room is rising. So, uh, <laughs> so this means collect all the books in your house or in your apartment or wherever you live collect all the books and put them in one place 
So we're not organizing or tidying by room. This is my living room books. These are my bedroom books. We're putting it all into one place. Because unless it all lives in one place, you don't actually know how much you have. So we're going to put it all in one place. And then, uh, and by the way, this is not like running your hand along a bookshelf. This is like they are out of the bookshelf and you have to opt in to decide to put them back to the bookshelf. Hallelujah. And so we're going to do this, team. We could do this. Um, and so the idea is you'll hold each one. You'll ask if it sparks joy. If it does, store it visibly, meaning store it in a way that if you look once at your bookshelf, you know what is in the bookshelf. Um, like, don't put it into... I'm, I'm not a big fan at all of, like, closed containers or, like, drawers that... Mystery drawers. That's where a lot of stuff can accumulate. Put it very visibly so you know what's going on. Uh, and that's where, and that's how the things that you do with things that spark joy and for everything else, you thank it and then you send it to its next home, wherever that might be. And I want to name that particularly for books, we have to ask ourselves why we keep books. I, if you're someone like me, I've kept books because at one point it did spark joy to me or at one point I read through them and was like, wow, what an amazing book. And I kept it. And then 15 years later, I'm like, I have not touched or thought of or looked at that book once. So like, you, you know, we kind of have to start thinking about like, is this currently sparking joy or is my bookshelf a museum of things that previously sparked joy to me? And if that's the case, then don't call it a home. Just call it a museum of your book. You know, like, like a home is the, for the things that actively spark joy. Um, uh, so, uh, and today specifically, I want to talk about two categories of things, books that are unread and papers that are unreferenced. Okay. So, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about like, um, how to particularly file things in the digital files Sunday, but I just want to drag y'all for a little bit about, <laughs> about books unread. So um, some of you are like me who just have like shelves and shelves of books. That's like, I'll get to reading this one day. I'll get to reading this one day. Sure. Oh, wow. What a beautiful cover. Or this was given to me by someone I care about. Or this was assigned in a class and I didn't read it in the class, but I'm going to read it one day. Oops. Uh, uh, and um, I'm just <laughs> like, uh, I just want to name that. Like, you already know how many books you read in the lifestyle that you have. Yeah, we, so, like, if you're someone who reads a book, I mean, there are people in our community who read, like, a book a week or, like, you know, who are, like, really zippy. Um, and then there are other folks who read, like, a book a month or a book a year or maybe haven't read a, a book the, in a year. And so, like, I just want you to know whatever speed you're running at, you know how many you know your pace at this, right? Like barring you having like a dramatic life transition, you kind of know your metabolic rate <laughs> for books, okay? And so keeping that in mind, it is time for you to decide for yourself how many unread books you are going to keep. And I'm, I'm totally, you know, hands off from a position of saying like, if that means like one shelf, like one lineup of books, if that means like a whole thing or like multiple stacks of shelves, I'm not here to judge you on whatever your book 
journey is. I'm just saying, like, is it worth keeping 20 years' worth of books on your person in an age where you can order any book online and get it within, like, a week? Like, is this really worth it when you're moving between apartments and you're packing your books and carrying them downstairs and then up other stairs and then forgetting to unpack them for six months and then finally putting them up to not read them and then move again <laughs> is it really worth holding on to the books like the literal weight of this, right? And so um, I'm not here to prescribe how, how many books you need to keep in your life. I do think it's worthwhile to decide. Just decide for yourself. How many unread books am I going to keep? Because again, with the, the, the clutter in your hands, whenever you receive something from the world, whenever someone gifts you a book, whenever someone give, um, recommends a book to you, you can have a, an idea in your head like, I only keep one row of unread books, and that means if I get a new book, then I would have to uh, thank and rehome one of these other books. Are these other books less valuable than this book? Like this is how your system starts to maintain itself. Is like you're you're keeping a sense of inventory. Same thing for clothes. Same thing for uh, any category. You're trying to like set. Um, you're trying to set a container while you are your most resourced self so that when you are less resourced and deciding all these things you've created a system that supports you now uh so uh, so then there's the question of papers which is slightly different because for most people there aren't any papers that spark joy uh <laughs> yeah um for you know maybe like certain certificates or certain awards or certain you know but there's not a lot of papers that spark joy. So a lot of the philosophy, a lot of the things that I want to get at is like that nagging thought of like, but what if I need it one day? Are any of you like me who are like, but what if I need it one day? And so I'm just going to like make sure that I keep all of the things just in case I might need it one day. And like, I don't know about you. As you're tidying, like, it reveals stuff about your personality and about your upbringing and probably about your traumas. And so, like, I know for me, it was like, I'm going to keep all my financial stuff because, like, I grew up in a house where, like, we weren't hurting, but it was like, we were aware of how much money we had in our house. And so I'm going to keep all our financial stuff because of that experience. However... I'm just creating work for myself. Like I'm, I'm not, you're not getting richer from saving those papers. I'm just going to say it right now. And so as you're looking at uh, these papers, I just want to name that the more you keep, the harder it will be to find any one particular paper. <laughs> so like if there are things that are really that important to you, the more things you add on to it, the harder it is going to be to actually find the thing in the instance that you actually do need it. And so, like, the question is, how can you organize your papers so that when a paper is no longer useful, you can immediately know and discard it? This is how you create a system that heals itself. Do you understand? It's like, like there, are, there are certain documents that you need to hold on to for a year, but after two years is completely irrelevant. So how can you organize yourself so that when that comes up, you know that you can discard it right away. This is how to like start getting a command over your papers. 
Um, and I want to name um, that I, sh I should do a content warning here for undocumented folks in the community. This is kind of a triggering conversation because papers in particular are like a, a very sore subject. And um, and I'm, I'm, I'm about to go through a lot of different papers that uh, folks without documentation might not have and have been working for for years. And so I just want to name that as with all New City things, if you're ever feeling triggered by something that's being said from the pulpit, feel free to stand up, to pace in the back, to get some water, um, to look outside, the things that you need to do to support yourself. Um, for folks who do have documentation and perhaps too much documentation, one of the things that really helped me is just asking like, why do I need to keep this? And what is the time frame for keeping this? So I know that um, for some of you, this is gonna be a review, but there are also folks who are like, a learning how to adult. So I'm just gonna do a quick run through of things that you sh should keep. And this is based off of um, I, I, a couple of articles, Forbes Advisor, Better Money Habits, and also talking to my um, personal finance person. By the way, it's always a good idea to ask your personal finance person if you have one, uh, what to hold on to. But generally speaking, some things that you should store indefinitely are the kind of things that like happen once, but, um, uh, you might need documentation for in the future. So like big official things that you get issued once. So uh, your birth certificate, social security, marriage certificate, adoption, death certificate, legal filings, like the things that happen once and that you may be called to prove that they happened that one time, those are good things to hold on to like in, in a forever kind of way. So having a folder that's like, I'm gonna store this in perpetuity is a good idea. I also wanna name uh, the things that you would need if you got sick or died are things that you wanna have in kind of a separate place. Because if you get, um, sometimes if you're in those situations, you won't be able to like quick gather stuff to be able to pass on to people. So it's nice to have this uh, all in order just in case. And that includes life insurance policies, wills and living wills, inheritance documents, beneficiary forms, and the power of attorney. So like having a document that's like, or having a folder that's like, if something happens, here's where you can find the stuff. And uh, it's a good idea to save tax returns and passports, uh, just kind of in perpetuity. Uh, jazz hands, are we are we vibing? We're feeling this, okay? Yeah. So it's like this is the this is the the collective distress is medium rising in the room. Okay, we're doing fine. We're in our window of tolerance. We're okay. We're okay. So like, um, then there are other things that you should store for about seven years. And the reason why that is is because the IRS will typically only audit your taxes within three years, but in special circumstances, they might go back as far as seven years. And so it's kind of a nice idea to have all of the supporting documents that you need for your taxes for seven years. And, uh, you know, so like the W-2s, your income forms, or like, th that's kind of a nice idea. Some folks are shaking their head that they just don't want to do that. And that is totally, uh, that is between you and Jesus and the IRS, I guess. But um, like, if you are risk averse, this is, this is like what you would be looking at. But that also means that if you have financial documents that are like more than eight years old, like you don't need it, you don't need these things like get rid of the things so that you can pay attention to what matters um, as far as uh, one year storing them for one year just keeping in mind that for your job you'll get a form that says how much you made in that year only hold on to the pay stubs for a year to make sure that that form is accurate so you don't need to hold on to pay stubs forever and ever and ever just make sure that the reporting is accurate 
And um, it's sometimes a nice idea to make sure that your monthly bank and credit card statements might be handy, um, even though these are often digitally available. And then uh, for things that you just hold on for a little bit, like it's the things that once you verify that they happened, you can get rid of. So this is, this is just kind of get rid of easy. Big deposits or withdrawals. Like if you deposit a million dollars into your bank, like maybe hold on to the deposit form until you see it like the numbers in the bank just to make sure that it's there. Uh, your bills, and you can toss it once uh, you see that you're credited for it. And any receipts that don't have to do with tax or insurance things. Honestly, even if you were to keep every single thing on that list, that's not that many papers. Like that's, that's like a thing that you would be able to pick up and put down. And so uh, if you're running a business or if you, it's more sophisticated, if you have a more sophisticated situation, it might be more. But really the bare minimum for personal finance is not much. And so like, I think the, the challenge for us is uh, that storing in big categories helps motivate you to review papers when you're in your files, which will help you notice what to discard. So I know some of you, especially, uh, I haven't dragged Enneagram 5s for a little bit, but I just want to name that like Enneagram 5s in particular are very good at creating very sophisticated archives. Like I know exactly what to find in the particular area of the thing. And sometimes you get such particular categories that you put one piece of paper for a whole folder and then you never revisit the folder because it's too specific. So really trying to think of like simple, simple categories so that every time you need to revisit something, you can review it. Can we just take a deep breath? <sighs> okay, so that's our learnings about papers <laughs> and books. But I want you... I want to zoom out a little bit and just bring your attention back to what matters. Um, at the end of the day, I don't really care what your relationship to your books are, and I don't really care what your relationship to papers are. At the end of the day, I care about that you are saying yes to the God who is offering you something amazing in your life. At the end of the day, I'm off, I'm, <laughs> I care about you lighting the fire of your life so that you can see through the midnight of our society. I'm asking that you care about what God created you for, that you say yes to the purposes of God, and that you create a liberating world. And if books and papers are the things that prevent you from doing that, then ditch the papers and the books. Like, you have something way more important waiting in your life than, uh, than books or papers could uh, prevent you from creating. Those books and papers won't love you back, but God will love you back. So try to orient your life around a God who cares about you so, so much and whose purposes are great. Amen? Amen.